Here at the Practice Squad, we obviously love sports. And when it's time for us to work out, we want to emulate the athletes we talk about each week. And in Utah, there's only one place we can train like an athlete. At the Training Room, located at 710 South, Utah Valley Drive, American Fork, Utah, 84003. Here they offer on-site sports medicines for all members, which includes deep tissue massage, physical therapy, chiropractic adjustments, and injury prevention training. Lord knows we need that. Beyond the standard memberships, they offer personal and group training classes like their own unique hype training. Other classes include Muay Thai boxing, pre- and postnatal yoga, and for younger athletes, they offer sports-specific strength and conditioning training for individuals and teams. Head over, tell them the practice squad sent you. Peace. Hello and welcome back to the practice squad, everybody. My name is Joe Wild, and we're here to talk about some basketball this week. And we're going to start off with the best college basketball team in the state. Jeff, you want to take it from here? Absolutely. This is my team, and I'm finally happy to say that BYU has done something worthy of some praise. Uh, BYU's men's basketball team went ahead and upset Gonzaga this past weekend, 91 to 78. There we go. That's another. That's Cougar, Cougar first, first down. down. It's a Jaguar first down. Sorry. Species appropriate noises. <laughs> With wow. that being said, uh, that puts BYU at twenty three and seven, having been uh, fifteen and two in the last you know seventeen games. With Yoli Childs coming back and playing, so right now BYU is playing some of the best basketball has since really Jimmer being at BYU. BYU's basketball is trajectorizing upwards, and I do believe that that is in part due to the return of Yodel Childs. I would have to agree with that as well. BYU has lost two games since he's been back. Only two. One to these guys' team, to Utah in overtime. Yeah, I wish I could be excited about that, but Utah is just, you know, a dumpster fire. The most talented dumpster fire, but still a dumpster fire. And the second loss was to San Francisco by one point, but Yoli was on restricted minutes that game because of his injury. Yodel had an owie. So, with that being said... In this game against Gonzaga, a few things to point out. Jake Toulson, transferring from Utah Valley, hit five three-pointers in the game. And just some of the craziest three-pointers I've ever seen. The dude was pulling back a few feet behind the three-point line very confidently. And he's been kind of on a... He's really streaky as a shooter. In some games, he's really hot. some games, he's really not. But in this game, he was hot. Yoli Childs was 11 of 16 in this game. In my opinion, he was the best player on the court. And you could look at Tilly on Gonzaga and some of the other athletes they have on that team, but Yoli proved in this game that he was unstoppable. Every time he was on the floor, Gonzaga had no answers for him. And at the same time, something that I didn't know, but having researched it this week, BOU has one of the highest shooting percentages in the entire league, recording a 60.4 field goal percentage as for the season, not just a game. That is a seasonal average, which is insane. A team to compare to with that is uh, Villanova's national championship team from 2018. They shot 60.3% from the field. With that being said, there's been a lot of lot of different tweets going out. And some of these guys are saying that BOU is the dark horse of the NCAA tournament coming up. Now... Some guys are saying Final Four. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Though I'm a huge BYU fan. Are any of those dudes that are saying Final Four, are they from anywhere other than Provo, Utah? 
Probably not. Yeah, almost certainly not. That's why I want to be the guy out there to be a little bit reasonable. Well, BYU fans always have such reasonable expectations for their team and their abilities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had Ty- Taysom winning Heisman. We had Kalani being coach of the year. We even I had... remember when that happened. I remember when Kalani Sataki won coach of the year. No, no. No, no. You're, you're mistaken. I, I'm not mistaken. He's bad. He won the award at the Mediocre Coaching Awards. It's named in honor of Lane Kiffin. It's like the Lane Kiffin Trophy of Mediocrity. Kalani won one year. The Lane Kiffin Trophy of not showing up. Yeah, exactly. Mediocrity. On the topic of Lane Kiffin, will he become an XFL coach? I believe so. Well, right now he's an SEC coach at Ole Miss, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Hopefully the XFL is long enough that for, is around long enough so that when he gets fired from this SEC job that he's able to go coach in the XFL. I, we, need, we need more Lane Kiffin apatheticness in football. Actually, we don't. It's like the worst thing for football <laughs> is Lane Kiffin's attitude of, eh. Whatever. We'll run three laterals and throw it deep. It might work. It might not. I don't care. <laughs> yes, luckily. You were talking about basketball. Yeah, talk, talking about basketball. So I just want to bring up a question for you guys here. Um, for me personally, I have BYU being they're projected right now as the sixth seed going into the NCAA tournament. I believe that's very accurate. I believe they're going to finish in that. Uh, I could even see. At best, maybe a final 16 run, but at that, that's kind of where they'll end. Uh, do any of you guys have any comments concerning that? It's just too early to say anything. I need to see the bracket before I can make any picks on that. Because, yeah, they could be a six seed, but they could end up with a really tough 10 seed. So, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to go out in the first round. I'm not going to say they're going to make it all the way to the final four. It's, it's too tough to say without seeing the bracket. I think BYU needs to get ahead of the game and find their sister Jean because Loyola Chicago, Catholic school, they had their sister Jean blessing the team all the way to the Final Four. So what I'm saying is is that BYU needs to find their sister Jean now because if they want to make it to the Final Four, Lord knows they need some blessings and some guidance, preferably from a nice, kind, elderly woman who prays with the team before every game. All right, so BYU, you're looking for an old woman who will come and sit on the sidelines and be a national hero. And knowing BYU fans, this will probably be a person who is super passionate about BYU, doesn't know a whole lot about the sport, but you know what? They go to every game, they paint their faces, and they will cheer as loud as they can until their voice goes out. Uh, One last comment about BYU. Um, The only thing that's alarming for me is the following. BYU is obviously shooting at a very high percentage, 60.4% from the field. When BYU loses, it's because they shoot terribly. You know, it's a comparable to the Jazz. We're going to talk about them here in a second. Uh, when BYU has a bad shooting night, they're going to lose the game. So you just got to hope and pray that the best BYU team shows up like they did this past weekend against the Zags. And if that team shows up, they could do a lot of damage. Uh, I think what the big thing with them is that they can't run into a zone defense if you want to talk serious. Because the way Coach Pope's offense is designed, there's a lot of high screens. And if people are just sitting in the zones, the high screen game isn't quite as effective. But, I mean, you'd have to pick it apart. And then there's the other thing where it's, of course, I mean, if you don't make your shots, you're not going to win the game, right? So BYU, if they really want to go far, they need to honestly just get lucky and run their offense and hope those balls go in the basket. No, I agree on that. Let's. It'll be really interesting to see how it turns out. As BYU fan, I'm ready for re- I'm going to be painting my face. Probably not. You know what? I take that back. I'm going to do it. 
Whoever it's going up against, Loyal Chicago, come at us with your sister, Jean. That's all I got to say about that. All right, and with that, have we got anything else? Nope, all right, Jeff, I'm excited to see your face painted blue because that way it'll be like the same color as your tears when BYU loses. First time in a long time, and I'll probably cry too. It's all right, I'll hold you. I know exactly what you need in your life. More practice squad. So give us a follow on Instagram at practice underscore squad underscore podcast. Our posts are phenomenal. Our stories probably even better. And our hairlines undefeated. Again, that's practice underscore squad underscore podcast. Check it out and give us a follow. Squad out. All right. Well, if you've been a regular listener to the show, you heard us talk uh, just around the All-Star game about what we thought the Jazz needed to do coming out of the All-Star break. And thus far, they've done the exact opposite. They have lost three games in impressively bad fashion. Defense has just decided to stop showing up. Offense has been extremely hit or miss, specifically behind the arc. How do we correct this? How do we right this ship? How do we do it fast? Yeah, to Joe's point, the last three games, the Jazz have given up the following scores. The Spurs scored 113, the Rockets scored 120, and somehow the Suns scored 131. Uh, Teams are putting up some huge numbers against us, and it is extremely frustrating to be watching these games, especially knowing how big the Jazz are being. You know, we're a defensive team. We take defense as a priority first. Well, then how are we freaking giving up 131 points to the Phoenix Suns. One of the most telling stats about that is the three-point percentage difference. In the loss to San Antonio, they were 50% on three. We were 36%. The loss to Houston, they were 42%. We were 22%. The loss to the Suns, we were 38%. That was our best over the last three games. It's 38% three. They hit 60%. So we have no perimeter defense right now either that or there's some kind of magic that lets the other team's ball go into the net but i think it's more likely because i've watched the games we just aren't playing anything outside no absolutely to joe's point perimeter defense has been super super weak i feel we've talked about this before i feel like when teams play us they have their best shooting nights against us and i'm starting to get to this realization where it's actually not just a team is shooting that much better it's that we're playing that bad at defense I, we're just we're not getting anything up right we're or we're not getting any we're not getting in the way of any three is what i was struggling to try and say there um it's just so many wide open looks teams are making two to three passes and they're le- and we're they're leaving a guy wide open i mean it's just it's we're making it far too simple for these teams to beat us right now yeah guys it's uh it's not good for us because we've sacrificed a lot of our perimeter defense for the sake of offense mike conley honestly would you guys rather have mike conley or ricky rubio again this season right now ricky rubio's played more games ricky rubio uh, you know what neither save the cap space don't make the trade keep jay crowder on the roster and have donovan mitchell run point guard that's what i wish we would have done yeah i i would you know Rubio does one thing that 
we have lost a little bit of, which is the playmaking ability just for other players. You know, Rubio got 10 assists last night, and Rubio was consistently a great facilitator of our team. But our offense has played a lot better since he's been gone. The thing that's really alarming to me is that though our offense has improved, we're taking a lot more worse shots. Uh, In these last three games, we have had a total of 26 threes or more per game. Having that been 31 against the Spurs, 26 against the Suns last night, and then 33 against the Rockets. I might be, those are the numbers there. And to me, it's just like, we have the right guys. I think we have a decent system. We're just playing it to the worst of the abilities. I think the one piece that doesn't fit here is Mike Conley. And here's why I'm going to say that. So when I bring up Ricky Rubio, it's because he's way better on the, on the perimeter defensively than Mike Conley. He's a bigger body. He's stronger. Mike Conley and Donovan, when you're out there, that's two six-one guards. In today's NBA, you're going to have six-six big, huge wings bruising you, and they're going to be just bigger than you, and they can create a shot because you're too small to defend how big their shot space is. So they're having time and space to get up and shoot over us. And also the other thing that I want to talk about, so that's my point with that. That's, that's my point about Ricky Rubio. That's my point about Mike Conley. I think, Joe, you're right. We should – play Donovan Mitchell at the point guard and bring Royce O'Neal off the bench because he is the type of wing that we're playing up against and getting smoked by every night. He's also our best perimeter defender. Yeah. He's the one guy on our team that cannot be pushed around by those perimeter guards. He's the one that's guarding James Harden. He's the one that's guarding Russell. He He's taking these guards and manning them up. He's not necessarily stopping them, but who else is going to do it on our team? Nobody. There's nobody else who's going to do it on our team besides Royce. We added wings like Jay before, but we don't know. Royce is the last thing we got. The other big problem is that Rudy Gobert is, I think he's trying to prove a point that he can cover on the perimeter. But you guys notice his rebounding numbers these past three games? Like, you could, you could pull those up. They're ridiculous. Yeah, against the Suns, he only had eight, to my understanding. And he only had six against the Rockets. So what's happening is that they're playing stretch fives. Like, they played Rudy Gay at center. For the Spurs, and then they play PJ Tucker and Robert Covington at center for the Rockets. Then they play Saric last night at center for the Suns, and we get smoked because Rudy goes in on these guys. These guys that they're putting up, they're actually really, really mediocre three point shooters, but because they have this aura or this reputation that they can sometimes hit a three, Rudy, Rudy gets pulled out to the perimeter and tries to defend them to prove they can be a perimeter defender. I think Rudy has to go back to what he's doing and defend the rim because if he doesn't do that they're getting offensive rebounds they can box him out easier when he's being pulled out to the perimeter and he's not being the player that he's paid to be and who he's best at being no to easy's point you make it the in the game against the rockets for example uh our leading rebounders were three players mike conley donovan mitchell and jordan clarkson all tied with seven rebounds rudy had six so the easiest point, they're totally spreading the floor and forcing Rudy to be out of his comfort zone and not where he actually excels and benefits the team, which is rim protecting and rebounding. So that's a great point, Easy. I just wanted to, to put an explanation point on that. So I do have a question for you, Benny. Um, do you think that this is – because the way you made it sound, you made it sound like it's an ego thing for Rudy Gobert. Do you think there's any argument to be made that this is a coaching decision? It could also perhaps be a coaching decision. I'm not in the locker room with those guys. Honestly, I'm just a fan that's grasping at straws here because I'm just trying to figure out an explanation for what the heck is happening. I personally think if 
look, they're trying to outgame us. And Mike D'Antoni said it after the Rockets game. Every time that we finish a possession where Rudy Gobert is near the rim, we failed. So what we need to do is to make them fail. We need to make sure Rudy Gobert is finishing every defensive possession around the rim. Because that way he gets positioning, he gets rebounds, he's able to alter the shots and have the Gobert effect that everyone talks about all the time. Can I talk about one thing that's really concerning to me is that all of these terrible losses are coming to teams in the West. So I feel like these teams in the West are now figuring out how to beat the Jazz, and the Jazz aren't able to counter it right now. What that's saying is that now we're to playoff time, and now we're showing a crucial, crucial weakness in this team and how teams are going to be able to exploit that in the playoffs. So here's what I think we need to do. Mike Conley, like, because our roster is locked for the rest of the season. Mike Conley has to move to the bench. This is what we're going to have to do if we're going to start winning games, in my opinion. Hopefully, Utah Jazz, you proved me wrong. Mike Conley gets moved to the bench. He comes off with Jordan Clarkson, who's a bigger wing, who can get buckets, they can roast benches, right? And then Rudy Gobert, he just lets those guys who are, how would I say this, allegedly three-point shooters, allegedly in air quotes, and he just lets them space the floor. Because, yeah, whatever, they might hit six threes, but that's going to happen every once in a friggin' blue moon. Defend the rim, get positioning, be the guy that you're paid to be. And I think that's how the Jazz are going to turn it around. Yeah, no, back to your point, Easy. I think that's a great tactic. I actually agree with it because there's a team that's kind of doing a similar tactic with the Heat. I look at a left-handed point guard in Goran Dragic coming off the bench for the Heat and being a key factor to bench scoring. I think if you have him and Clarkson on the court at the same time, that allows our team to get a lot more efficiency off the bench. With that being said, to Rudy's point, he has to be at the rim. I don't know how the Jazz are going to have to do that because I even feared that even with Boyan and Joe's play defensively, I'm not super impressed either. So I fear that if those guys start cutting to the rim, they're going to have a lot of open threes, and those are the guys I fear shooting those threes, those guys that Boyan and Joe are guarding. So with that being said, you guys, Rudy's got to be at the rim, and somehow I, I just want to see improvement on the defensive side from not just just the entire perimeter guys. Yeah, look, I could I could go through and I could tell you each of the guys like Coach Quinn. He can he can sit down, and he can pick out on the Spurs. I, look, I'm okay if Rudy Gay finishes with either a contested layup from Rudy or an open three pointer. That's a, that's an okay end to a possession. Who I don't want taking a shot is Derek White or Brent Forbes. Same thing, Rockets. PJ Tucker, you're taking a three. That's fine, dude. You're like a 32 percent free uh, three point shooter. I know it seems like he makes more than he does, but that's just because he's a volume shooter. He, he plays on the Rockets. He shoots a lot of them. Supposedly go in. And with the Suns, that Sarge is that player. If Sarge is taking the three, then I'm fine with that because that's the cost that it takes to defend the rim and get positioning to help us get another possession out of the, the ball. Well, I think you've made a lot of good points there. I would also I also really do think that Mike Conley off the bench would be a great decision. What I would also really love to see from it is the vitriol from Jazz Twitter. Jazz Twitter is, I mean, I don't want to say it's the stupidest of sports Twitters, but it's got to be near the top. The amount of people that have just gone out of their way to defend Mike Conley all season, despite the fact that he's missed almost almost 25 games. He's played 34 games this year. 34. The guy that we're shelling out the largest, the largest paycheck in our roster is going to a guy who's paid 34 games. Um, and just people will not stop defending him. 
it, it doesn't matter what performance he has. People are going to act like, oh, he'll get it together next week. Next week, he's going to look like an all-star again. I, I, you know, and I like Mike Conley. I was so excited when the trade went through. I'm getting to the point now where I'm wondering if I, I'm wondering how salvageable this season is. And we've got to ship him off at the end of the year, I feel like. The thing is, is I don't know who's going to take his contract. That, that's the other thing. I mean, and he, he still can add value. But, I mean, he's got to come provide that value off the bench in a different role. We're going to be paying him more for his leadership. Kind of like, I mean, I wish he produced as much as Chris Paul. But it, it's that kind of idea where you're willing to take on the big contract for someone who can come in. And he can mentor the younger players. He can tell them how to have a family and be a player. And that's and that's a lot of value that he adds that's more intangible than is on the basketball court. So that's what we're going to be paying him for right now. For right now, if we want him to provide basketball value, then Jazz Twitter needs to get off their high horse and humble themselves and go, yo, maybe we should make some changes because these are really serious losses that keep happening when he's in the when he's in the lineup. I mean, we went 19-2 and two when he was out of the lineup. This team is good. But with him in it, I just I don't see him fitting. Yeah, right now I see really two players who are doing a whole lot of the heavy load. I see Donovan Mitchell. You know, he scored 38 last night. And I also see Jordan Clarkson, who's been consistently probably our best player since he came to this team. Offensively, yeah. Yeah. With that being said, I hope that the Jazz can make these – changes now because if we keep losing games we're gonna lose all this momentum before the playoffs we'll be like the sixth seed and then we're, we're, gonna... we're one loss away from the sixth seed right now yeah we're we're this close to having home court advantage or to being the seventh seed and getting our butts kicked by the nuggets the clippers or the lakers so it is and the west is just too competitive this year the jazz have to get that home court well the jazz can compete they've shown they can compete They've beaten they've beaten every single team except for the Lakers, and it, but the thing is that those a lot of those wins have come when Mike Conley's not in the lineup. Well, as much as we hate to say it, I guess the official practice squad stance is Mike Conley needs to come off the bench. All right, and that will help him just load manage better too. Heck, if he's healthy, he plays. If he's not healthy, then what's he doing on the floor? He's just making us lose. I mean, like I said it a couple weeks ago, at the end of that Denver game when we choked away the big lead, I mean, I guess we haven't beaten Denver either yet, but we will beat them, I pray. Uh, what happens is that Mike Conley will get attacked on high pick and rolls because, they're, like I said, their wings are bigger than him and they're stronger than him at this point in his career. And at this point, he's got to accept, like, oh, I'm, I am that guy now. I'm not strong enough to – I mean, Mike, prove me wrong, dude. Prove me wrong if you're strong enough to take these guys and prove it to, to us. But right now, it seems like you're that guy who's getting attacked on screens and giving up buckets. All right, so that, those are my those are my jazz rants. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, do we have any other thoughts from around the NBA sphere? Uh, the MVP race is getting pretty interesting. Looks like it's going to come down to three again. Uh, LeBron, James Harden, and Giannis. Right now... I am at a coin flip between LeBron and Giannis. I'd have to agree on that. Uh, Giannis is probably having a better year statistically, but LeBron has done something that I've never seen in his career, which is average more than 10 assists a game. He's leading the NBA in assists at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he that Lakers team is 
they're really good, especially when he's running the floor like that. Yeah, if I was, if I was going to vote today, and if I had a vote, and God willing, someday I will, I would vote for LeBron because the Lakers completely turned around from last year. The Bucks, yeah, we, we know what they are. We, we've seen Giannis level up again, but LeBron is doing something we've never seen before. The only other person I can think of is perhaps Karl Malone or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but even then, those guys didn't perform at nearly the same level that LeBron did, averaging over 10 assists, averaging over he's averaging over 25 a game, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, and he's got the second-best record in the NBA. I, I know Giannis doesn't have a talent like Anthony Davis to play with, but I like LeBron for MVP because he maximizes the talent around him. Well, and one of my metrics that I always use for who the best MVP or who the MVP should be is whose team would be detrimented the most from them not being on the floor. And I look at it, and I it's it's a toss up still. Um, I think Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee would be hurt more without Giannis than LA would be hurt without LeBron. But I still have LeBron as my MVP. Yeah, I, you definitely look at it as which team would be a playoff contender without the other, and that's where really the coin toss comes in because the Bucks without Giannis are, I mean, Middleton's your best player, and you might have a winning record, but in the in it's in depends on how the East is. Where in the West, if the Lakers didn't have LeBron, even with Anthony Davis, I don't think they'd be a playoff team. That the West is just too good this year. Yeah, if the Lakers didn't have LeBron, they'd just be the Pelicans. Exactly. I mean, that Anthony Davis left the Pelicans to be a championship team. And imagine if LeBron wasn't there. It'd be just going back right to where he started. Um, another really, really... Uh, any other comments with LeBron or Giannis? Uh, another really interesting race right now is the rookie of the year. A lot of people are saying that it's between two guys. I think you all know the names. It's between Zion and it's between Ja. Uh Obviously, Sion's been hurt from the majority of the year, but people are saying because of his performance and how ridiculous it has been that he should be a candidate for it. What do you guys have to think about that? I mean, for me, the biggest thing is it's 51 games played for Jaw, 12 games played for Zion. That's the that's the biggest difference right there. And I truly love Zion. I think he is one of the best things that could have happened to the NBA. He is so talented. He's got such a great personality. Um, genuinely a nice person, but rookie of the year is not an award that he's going to get in his career. I don't think, I think it should go to John Morant, John Morant. We're, we're kind of underestimating the level of team that John Morant currently has in the playoffs. Memphis is not good. John Morant has got them in the postseason. Going off of that, I would agree with the comment of John Morant being the rookie of the year. Just because not only the Memphis Grizzlies last year were one of the worst teams in the West, but I would like to make the comment that the Grizzlies are actually being compared a lot to the Oklahoma City Thunder team back in the day when it was Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook. They have three guys right now. It's John Morant, Jared Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark. These three guys have been balling all year, and all three of them have a lot to, you know, they're, they're the reason why Memphis is doing as well as they are this year. But without Jaw... He is the guy for them. Like, he is the key component. And frankly, if it wasn't for Jaw, the Grizzlies would be probably one of the worst teams again. And the Pelicans have proven that 
without Zion, they were still able to have a pretty decent record because of the phenomenal play of Brandon Ingram and others on that team. So for me, I would give it to Jaw just because of the performance for the entire year and also for the success that the Grizzlies have had with this new core. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust out my Stephen A. Now, I love Ja. He's like a brother to me. He could come into my apartment. He could drink all my milk. He could eat all my cereal. He could even eat some of my peanut butter. And I would still love that man. But Zion Williamson scored 200 points in 10 games. The only other person to do that, there's two other people. Salon Iverson and Shaquille O'Neal. That's why Zion's my rookie of the year, because he's coming in, impact, Pelicans make the playoff push. In the end, though, I think it's going to come down to whoever makes the playoffs. If the Grizz make the playoffs, it's Jaw. If Pels make it, it's Zion. Well, fair enough. Uh, do we have any other ending comments for this episode? I don't think so. I'm pretty darn good. You? I think we're good. Peace. Be good or be good at it, folks. squad this is easy e coming at you to say that if you've ever had a desire to kick ass then head on over to draper kenpo black belt master gator conley will teach you how to chomp on the competition at draper kenpo a student learns self-respect discipline agility and most importantly how to kick that ass call or text for information at 801-810-5772 that number again is 801-810-5772 now, karate chop your way to Draper Kempo at 720 East and 10,600 South in Sandy. Hiya! Squad out.